Welcome back to The Cosmic Circle, the official podcast of thecosmiccircus.com. Today is the day we've waited for a very, very long time. One month after its record-breaking $1.5 billion COVID release, we are gathered here today to celebrate Spider-Man No Way Home. My name is Vin, and joining me on The Cosmic Circle today are Isla and Emily. I am Isla, and I'm very happy to be back. Hi, I'm Emily. Now, please be warned again. Major spoilers are set to come. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon. If you're not a patron yet, please consider signing up today for access to our Discord and a fantastic family fellow fans, as well as lots of discussion, speculation, and possible teases for upcoming projects. Now, before we get into No Way Home itself, Emily, can you please start us off? What was your journey to Spider-Man No Way Home? Sure. I had been waiting for the trailer for so long and I, all my friends are huge Marvel fans too, so we would just speculate for months. And then when the trailer came out, it was such a big deal. We all like watched it together and treated it like a theater experience. I rewatched all of the old movies, watching the Tobey Maguire movies with my brother who hadn't seen them before. And that was a great experience because he loved them so much. So I think it really added to seeing the movie. And then buying tickets was just such a journey in itself because it seemed like everyone was competing for tickets and it was interesting that they had announced that tickets would come out at midnight for sales so everyone had like stayed up and broke the internet what about you Isla all right so you know I think like you said I was really excited for the trailer and you know the anticipation and the social aspect of that was was so much fun I really like most of the rest of the internet. I was so excited when we just got the tiniest glimpse of anything about the movie. I think there was that one scene where Peter Parker, Ned, and MJ were walking down this hall with the whiteboard. And it was like, I don't remember if it was a teaser or a first look or something, but it was in their high school. And that was so... I think that was... I think that was the, the title, title reveal. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It was a while ago. But, you know, that was that was a lot of fun. So I didn't avoid the trailers, obviously, and I didn't avoid spoilers, but I didn't, you know, go search out spoilers. I kind of wanted to enjoy the movie when it came out. For tickets, it was, I had a different experience. It wasn't that hard to get tickets, and I don't know why. I don't know if it, that was just because I was buying one ticket, because I went to see it by myself. But I think like two days before the movie, I thought, I should probably get a ticket. And I did, so... Not a, not a lot of um, excitement there. <laughs> How about you? For me, I was, I was really excited about all the trailers. I actually thought the trailer would come. I didn't think it would come in June. I thought that was too crazy. But I thought July would be okay. And then it didn't come in July. Then I thought it would come in August. And they came at like the very end of August. And I was like, Sony, they are crazy. They don't know what they're doing. They are ruining this. And then the trailer came out and it was fantastic and we we're all happy. And then we're all, where's trailer two? And then trailer two came like the end of November. And it was like, Sony, they're crazy. They don't know what they're doing. They're ruining this movie. And trailer two was incredible. And then the movie came out and it was incredible. So it was a wild roller coaster of like, we don't trust this company, yet the company's plan executed exactly as they planned it to. So I guess good job, Sony. The point you make about us not totally trusting the company is really valid because we got to see the last Spider-Man movie, right? We got to see them in Venice. And then 
all the information breaks loose about, you know, Sony and, and Marvel not playing nice together and possibly no more Spider-Man movies in the MCU. And that just felt, you know, that was a loss for the, for the comic book movie community. And there was like mourning with that. And there was a lot of searching for information with that as well before we, you know, finding out if there even was going to be a movie before we, we got to No Way Home. Yeah, exactly. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't plan this, but I think it'd be interesting. What do you guys think would have happened? Suppose the deal went south. Do you think, what do you think Sony's Spider-Man 3 would have looked like? Do you, do you guys have any theories? Yeah, um, I think it would have looked very different. And I think we would have seen more, I think we would have seen Venom for sure, like Tom Hardy's Venom. And I think there would have been maybe one more villain involved because they'd have like the rights to it and Marvel wouldn't have to ask for it and get like the clearance for it. Uh, Emily, do you think it'd still be multiverse with the three Spider-Men and everything? I don't know. I think they would try and put Toby and Andrew in it, but I'm not sure about the multiverse since they would have been broken away from like Marvel Studios. I can't even imagine the movie if it had, if the deal had not been reached because so much of this Peter Parker of this this Spider Man is built um, kind of on the shoulders of the MCU. Like he he's defined by his losses of of Iron Man. Um, you know he's defined by going into space. He's got all these things that have happened to him that I mean you can't just erase that. How would you how would you continue with with this version without you know, referencing the things that make him who he is. So one crazy theory I had, it, it recently got shut down, but um, the writers had talked about instead of Toby and Andrew showing up from the portals in Ned's grandma's room, uh, they talked about uh, an extra character introducing them. And they revealed that that extra character was co some concept art revealed that it was going to be America Chavez. Uh, importing them through the multiverse. But before we found out it was America, I had a theory that Madam Web was going to be the one introducing these multiverse characters because Sony announced a Madam Web movie that no one asked for. But Sony announced this Madam Web movie. And so I thought, okay, so if Sony was to do No Way Home themselves, you can actually keep everything the same because they have Ned, they have MJ, they have all the villains, they have all the heroes. All of that is actually, I think it belongs to Sony. So the only difference is that you wouldn't have Matt Murdock and you wouldn't have Doctor Strange. But other than that, you can do, if you just get a multiverse character like Madam Web, then you could do the exact same movie pretty much. I'm not totally convinced that the Madam Web movie will actually happen. I think of it as almost being like a negotiating tactic for Sony saying, okay, if, if Disney won't play ball with what we want, then we're just going to make our own movie and we don't need Disney. Going back, though, to the very initial question, for me, like to get uh, after the trailer and stuff and speculating for us to get tickets was actually really funny. Um, I was I was on a Zoom call with my mom and we were just talking and somebody had told her that there's a Spider-Man movie. I didn't. Somebody did. So my mom was like, hey, did you hear there's a Spider-Man movie? When are we watching it? So I didn't even have to bring it up to, hey, mom, so I know there's COVID and there's the Spider-Man movie, and like, I don't know, it's a really big deal. Do you want to see it? She's just like, hey, why haven't you gotten tickets? Where are we, when are we going? So I just, I bought tickets like that. For us, it was really easy, and it was, it was a piece of cake. It, it was really nice. 
Emily, I had, I had some questions for you because you weren't here. Me and Isla did a, a podcast in December um, covering all the previous Spider-Man movies. You, you weren't with us. So I was curious, did you rewatch the TASM movies uh, before No Way Home? I did because I actually really liked Andrew as Spider-Man and everyone in my house didn't really. And so when I got to rewatch them, I was like, this is, I don't understand why everyone thought it was so bad. I didn't think they were that bad. And I like, I think The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is better than the first one. So I was like kind of disappointed when the third one didn't come out because I was, I was younger. I think I was about 14 when the second one came out. So it was, so I thought they were definitely worth the rewatch. I want to jump in and add that, you know, in, in addition to Aunt watching the trailers and everything in, in prep part of for the podcast that we did. I did watch all the rest of the movies and I suffered through Spider-Man 3, but I know that's controversial. But um, yeah, that was also part of my prep for the movie. We just got the message that we might have our good friend Brian joining us shortly. So whenever he comes, be very happy to have him. Okay, so Isla, going back to No Way Home, what did you think about the film? I loved it. I thought, you know, so... If you sit and think about something for a long enough period of time, of course, you're going to find holes. But the ultimate job of a movie is to entertain you. And this movie was just so entertaining. And there was so much emotional payoff. And just it was it was completely worth all the hype. And it was fun. So I really enjoyed seeing this movie. I really enjoyed it as well. I loved it. Like Isla said, the emotional payoff was incredible um I think it really it did such a good job of kind of breaking him away from everything like Tony Stark and like all that technology especially since we saw the new suit at the end it was homemade it didn't have anything to do with Stark tech and that's where like they needed to get him so I think they handled that really well it was really a love letter to fans because you have all the previous Spider-Man you have the villains you have the suit like I'm like Emily mentioned, and it's the, the classic suit that's kind of from the comic. So there was just, there, there was, it was a love letter to fans. Yeah, and I think what's really cool about that is it's also, uh, in, in our last podcast, we talked about how it could, you could be a little bit cynical that it looks like a cash grab about how you have all these cameos from the previous movies, you have all these big stars, um, and it looks like Sony is just kind of advertising their previous movies. But I, I thought it was so emotionally satisfying and had so much payoff that it really felt genuine. As strange as it is, because it it is obviously a huge corporate cash cash machine, but it felt so emotionally real and so genuine that I was I was really incredible how well they pulled it off. I even I have a friend, he he, he likes the artsy movies. You know, he's a little bit, he's very cynical about Marvel movies. And I told him, dude, you're gonna like this one. He's like, I don't know. He saw it yesterday. He said it's his number one MCU movie. He absolutely loved it. And I think it's just incredible that a movie like this, you can be so cynical about it, but it, it, people aren't because they did such a good job of it. it, it I don't know. It's, it's stunning. It's amazing. I don't know how, how they pulled it off. If they hadn't pulled it off, though, that would be, you know, another story. We, we would be talking about it as a cash grab and just being poorly executed. When you do it well, then the fans are going to love it. And I think that's you know, Marvel and Sony right now are, are reaping the benefits of having done this really well. And I wonder, like, you know, right now we're hearing a lot about rumors and stuff for Doctor Strange 2. So let's hope Marvel can keep this uh, train going. Otherwise, Doctor Strange 2 will be 
you know, it, it, people can be cynical about that also. But I, I have faith, especially after how well they did this one. I think I think Doctor Strange Two will rock. Uh, Isla, how many times did you see No Way Home? I might be in the minority, but I only saw No Way Home once. Um, I saw it on opening day, the very first showing, and I'm excited for when it comes out on on digital and then eventually Disney Plus. Even though that'll be months along the line, um, I I want to watch it again and again and again. So. I think we saw that it's on digital in February. So. That's the rumor. I think it's end of February, but um, once it's on digital, it'll, I think, then go to Netflix and stars, and then it will eventually make its way to Disney Plus. So I'm going to have to buy it, but that's okay. Emily, what about you? I saw it twice opening weekend, but I feel like I've seen it more because every time I scroll through TikTok, like half the movie is on there anyway. I think twice in like one setting of like scrolling through TikTok, I saw the movie was being like live streamed from inside the theater. And I was like, how is, how is someone getting away with this on a TikTok live stream? How has this not been taken down? That's crazy. I saw it, uh, I, I saw it once in theaters, but I, I spent so long working on my review and, and researching with other people's reviews too, that I feel like, I feel like I know the movie like minute by minute just from how, how much I've thought about each moment and each sequence in it. Um, what Emily, when you watched it the second time, how did your opinion change? I think I got more attached to it because the first time like going in like with this movie, I had like low expectations. I wanted to keep my expectations low just in case like I got heartbroken and it wasn't ex like what I expected, even though I was like, you know, that's impossible because it's Marvel and they always have met my expectations. The second time I got like way more attached and I thought it was just way better and I was like way more emotional because I knew what was coming and also the first time I went and saw it the guy sitting next to me was having like a whole conversation with himself in the screen like the whole two and a half hours which I was just so annoyed with so the second time the second time it was much better because no one was like talking. Are you sure the guy sitting next to you was an electro and and the amusing Spider-Man too, because he has a lot of conversations with himself in that movie. Pretty sure he wasn't, but if it was, that would be kind of cool. I'd let it slide then. I am curious, like what 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 were these conversations like? Like what what was he saying? Who was he talking to? The characters on the screen, like he like constantly like, was like, oh my God, Zendaya, just press the button on the box, just press the button on the box. And he was like, why are you doing this? Oh my God, no, you need to go do this. And I was like, please, it's the first time we're all seeing this movie. I just want to enjoy it. So much pain. So I'm really actually curious about that and something related to that, because part of the seeing the movie in theaters, part of that experience is getting the crowd reactions. Did you guys have big crowd reactions when you saw it? Um, and Emily, when you saw it twice, were there crowd reactions both time? Were they different? There were crowd reactions both times and I'd never have a problem with that because I love the crowd reactions because I love seeing it with other people and like people cheered when Toby and Andrew like showed up on the screen and when all the villains showed up and when Matt showed up on the screen with like I loved his entrance just like with the cane and stuff and everyone like went wild for that. That is totally fine. I'm part of that with the guy next to me having a whole conversation with himself. I would, that just bugs me. That's no bueno. For us, we saw it, we waited till Sunday, the opening weekend, because we, we were hoping crowds would be a little smaller, uh, which I guess they were. So we waited till Sunday. And I don't live in America. I live in Europe. So I wasn't sure, 
you know, how stronger reactions would be. Like Endgame and stuff was good over here. Um, but I remember in the theater, there was, you could tell who were the hardcore MCU people because it, it was a Sunday viewing, like Sunday morning. But there was still, like when Matt Murdock appeared, you could, you could hear, like you could pinpoint one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people scream. And then anytime something cool would happen, you know, everyone would get excited, but you could hear like the same seven people. And I'm like, I want to meet these people after the movie. I want to be friends with them because these are my people. I remember even behind me, there was two women and they got so excited when Matt Murdock showed up. And I remember like my mom was with me and she's seen about half the MCU, but she's, she knows nothing about Daredevil. So when he showed up, I got excited. And these two women behind us screamed a little. And my mom's like, what, what is happening? So I, I, I felt like a little bit, I, I felt like connected to these people. So for, for me, it was exciting. I didn't have some, you know, some random guy talking next to me. It was more like we are unified in our excitement for this movie. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so here is Brian now. He's joining us. Everyone say hi, Brian. Hi, Brian. Yay, Brian's here. Hi, Brian. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? We're doing great. We're talking about Spider-Man No Way Home right now. Ryan, can you tell us, what did you think about No Way Home? I think it might be the best Spider-Man movie to date. And I know that's saying a lot with Spider-Man 2 from years ago. But I think that it was the culmination of 20 years of Spider-Man movies. And it gave us everything that we could absolutely dream about. I couldn't imagine um, a better way to celebrate the cinema of Spider-Man. And Sony did a great job with this one, obviously with Marvel's help. I'm glad that we finally got to see it. My good friend, Brian, I know you very well. When did you cry and scream during this movie? <laughs> um, I cried the last 45 minutes of the movie both times I saw it. <laughs> Much to the, uh, the enjoyment of my nephews who went and saw it with me. I absolutely was a mess from pretty much an hour and 45 minutes into it until the end so a hundred percent that's amazing how how old were your nephews so my nephew that went with me both times he just turned 13 so he was like the prime age to see it and we actually he had never seen any of the other spider-man movies so we had to marathon them prior to going to see this one so he could understand the impact and the weight that I had with it. And so um, the second time when I, that I saw it and I was still crying, he, you know, he turned to me and he was like, why are you crying this time? You cried the first time. Why are you still having this emotional impact? And I was like, there's just so much to this movie. How could you not cry and scream and, you know, be happy and sad and every, all the emotional weight of this movie. It was fantastic. That's so great. Brian, what, I'm curious because you, you said you, you had to binge it for your, you had to binge all the movies for your nephew. Do you think he could have enjoyed them even without those movies? Or do you think Spider-Man No Way Home needs the seven movies before it? I definitely think that you can enjoy this without the other ones. I, you know, my sister who wasn't a big comic book person for many, many years, and she's older than me, um, she hadn't seen all of them. She completely ignored the Garfield Andrew Garfield films um so she enjoyed it completely and it actually made her want to go and watch the Andrew Garfield ones as a result so I think that you can enjoy it having seen all of it I think you can enjoy it without it I think you get a deeper understanding and a deeper respect 
um and just and just there's more to enjoy there's more of those like little easter eggs for fans who have been on this journey since day one that's great now brian we 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 talked about this a bit but again spoiler warning for all our listeners there are three peter parkers six returning villains and one matt murdoch in this movie brian who was your favorite from these 10 amazing guests oh you're gonna make me pick oh okay i have to say that there's two uh the first one i feel like i'm I'm gonna explain my my thought process real quick i'm doing one based on like the cameo appearance and one one based on like adding to the story kind of a main character so the first one was matt murdoch i mean who wasn't happy to see him back he was he was one of the best characters that came out of the the netflix defender series and charlie cox is is the embodiment of what i i view as as who i view as daredevil and matt murdoch so getting to see him in those that role again was just huge and even though i was kind of anticipating this coming it was so exciting to see that and to have that moment and just get to see him be a really good lawyer again so that's like that was one excitement which was met with uproar the theaters like the um, the amount of excitement drowned out the dialogue for about a good 10 or 15 seconds when i saw that and then i was really shocked at how excited i was to see andrew garfield um when i was just coming out of uh, high school and going to college and those movies were coming out andrew garfield didn't like he was a great spider-man but he like he didn't feel like peter parker and like i don't remember having fond memories of those movies but there really truly was this like magical moment of seeing him and seeing him have this like balance of fun and excitement and sadness and everything that encapsulated him as his own peter parker and i was like oh man i want more of him i want to see this this spider-man again i want to be able to enjoy just more than this 45 minutes that we have with him and so it was really exciting to see him so i'd say definitely matt murdoch and andrew garfield for sure that's great i remember um i watched this with my mom and with her i've seen every spider-man movie in theaters except tasm one she skipped that one but she could not remember a thing about andrew garfield spider-man i i guess because she only saw tasm two but also she didn't like it and she just like erased it from her memory but after no way home she knew Andrew Garfield. She knew she knew Spider that Spider-Man. She loved it. I think like most people, she realized that he is he is the best Spider-Man. Uh, so she was really excited about that. Emily, what about you? Who was your favorite guest? Star? I really liked seeing Matt Otto, Green Goblin, because Willem Dafoe just killed it. Um, and I was really happy to have Andrew back. He was just so good. He was probably my favorite one. What about the villains? I think Doc Ock, because I really liked the moment that he and um, Toby's Peter had together at the end when they saw each other on the Statue of Liberty. And he was like, how are you? You're all grown up. And he's like, I'm trying to do better. Like, that was my that was my favorite moment. I think I started tearing up. At, I started tearing up then. Oh, sweet. Isla? So I, I have to actually agree with you that after this movie, I now feel that Andrew Garfield probably is the best Spider-Man. And I did not feel that going into the movie. So that was, you know, my takeaway of all the of all the cameo, not cameos, but all the characters that we saw. I thought that he was, you know, super, super charming in this movie. He was so well acted and he 
you know, the way he was portrayed, you could see that his character had suffered. His character had suffered from the loss of, of, of Gwen, and he was just trying to do better. And I thought that really came true. And I, I feel like with, we know with the amazing Spider-Man movies, I, I feel like that Spider-Man almost kind of got a, a raw deal in some of, you know, with some of um, the story there. As far as the villains, I loved seeing Doc Ock. You know, there's no villain, I think, that compares to that for me because I love a good redemption story. And, you know, seeing Doc Ock in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man uh, 2, seeing him, you know, kind of get redeemed at the end and eventually sacrifice himself was very moving to me. So I enjoyed seeing him get redeemed here again and, you know, continue the redemption through the through the movie. I thought it was very sad at the end that he was going home to die, but I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, next steps after after this. I think I don't I, I think you guys are crazy. For me, there's no question the greatest returning guest star was Willem Dafoe, Screen Goblin. I think like Doc Hawk's nice. Andrew Andrew was great. He's my number two, but Willem Dafoe is Green Goblin. Without him, this movie falls apart. This movie would not be what it is without that loony man and his crazy performance. So good. That was incredible. I loved As I it. saw it, I kept thinking about our, our friend Tucker and how much um, <laughs> the original Spider-Man, uh, Toby Spider-Man, just kind of creeped him out with the Green Goblin and how much more layered and well done it was done this time. And I, I, I agree with you. I think it was, he was really great in this role and brought a lot, a lot of complexity to it. So good. Um, Emily, we just talked about all these cameos. Do you think these characters matched their previous iterations from the old movies? Or do you think any of the characters kind of contradicted or they didn't do justice to their previous versions? I think a lot of them did. I liked Sandman better in this than in Spider-Man 3. So I think this one kind of like really helped his character and made him a little bit more likable for me. And I think the same thing kind of goes for Electro. I wasn't like a huge fan of him when Spider-Man 2 came out, even though like The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was like one of my favorites. So I think this was, this just did something else for him. And this definitely added to mm, Green Goblin for me because Willem Dafoe's, I don't think I'll ever get over Willem Dafoe's performance in this. It's so like creepy and it's just great. Mm-hmm. Brian? You know, going off of the Electro, I think that he was significantly better in this movie because, you know, rewatching The Amazing Spider-Man 2, he's a creepy guy. Like, he's very odd and eccentric. And this one kind of took some of that away while still having hints of it there. Um, and I just feel like he fit a little bit better in this this time than he did the last one. Um, but 100%, agreeing with everyone, William Dafoe blew it out of the water again. Like, could you imagine 20 years later continuing to just play a role that you are you're killing it? I mean, he the the balance between Norman Osborne and and Green Goblin and being aware and not and th- there wasn't a moment that I was like, I don't know which version I'm getting right now. Is he lying? Is he telling the truth? Who is he? And I just wow, that it was great to have him back. Yeah. Uh, now, Brian, uh, you and Emily weren't on our last Spider-Man podcast. Um, so for both of you guys, when did you first watch Spider-Man 1? Do you remember? Like originally? Uh... <laughs> yeah, because me and Isla, we saw it in theaters. 
What about so, you guys? I did not see it in theaters. I wasn't quite into comics at that point, but as soon as it came out on DVD and all my friends were talking about it, I remember going to Blockbuster and renting that movie and then being like, whoa, this is awesome. So it was within a few months of it coming out, but it was totally still magical. Did they have DVDs in 2002? Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm almost positive. I think Harry Potter came out in 2001 and it was the first DVD I ever owned. Crazy. Awesome. Emily, what about you? I was three when this movie came out, so I didn't see it in theaters. But um, when I was young, my dad, when I was able to start watching movies and stuff, my dad got me into like a lot of nerd stuff. Like Harry Potter and this were like some of my first movies. I would watch this in the first Harry Potter movie like three times a day for like two years straight. So I was very connected with this movie Mm. as a child. That's awesome. Yeah, I love, I talked about it last time. I love Spider-Man 1, but I haven't rewatched it that much, but just the memory of seeing it in the theater. And I watched it, I think once or twice on DVD as a kid, but it it is still, we'll talk about rankings later, but Spider-Man 1 is my still, my number one. I just, God, it's just the perfect Spider-Man movie to me. I mean, in in my, you know, emotional subjective. Can I ask why? What makes it the epitome of all the best for you? I mean, I don't know, because I know, I mean, I think if I, if I was trying to be objective, I would say Spider-Verse is the best one. But for me, like, when I think Spider-Man, like, I think, I think of the things, like, Spider-Man, like, the character. Like, I think of the Thanksgiving scene. I think of him on the roof, or him on the ceiling, like, the blood dripping. I think of the Green Goblin. I think of, like, the superimposed images of, like, the, the Goblin's mask, like, on top of Spider-Man. Uh, you, you know, those, those shots where, like, they're both on screen but like one's transparent i think of like the green goblin shouting choose and and uh mary jane falling and and the train and the the tram thing falling like the the Times square battle like to me when i think about spider-man i still like that is imprinted on my mind this is spider-man and like i know as i've gotten older and i've looked at comics and animation and, and the other movies like my definition of spider-man has changed but still to me like this is like, this is, to me, like, the definition of Spider-Man. My personal definition, I guess. And, like, when I think about Superman, I think about Christopher Reeve. And I love Henry Cavill. I think he could be the perfect Superman. But but Christopher Reeve is like, n- no, this is the Superman. And for me, like, Spider-Man 1 is the Spider-Man movie, even if Toby isn't my favorite Spider-Man. I agree with that so much because, you know, I, I saw it in theaters and I had never seen anything like that. And it was just, you know, when I think Spider-Man, that that is also imprinted in my head. And it's funny you mentioned Sp- or Superman because, you know, you have Christopher Reeve and I, I was exposed to a lot of Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. So when I think Superman, that's Dean Cain in my head. So it, it, I wonder how much of it is like who you saw first is, maybe yeah. uh, you know, as what matters. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because Superman for me was... Dean Kane, but I think that the magical of the, the first Spider-Man as well is the fact that this also really did kind of set the precedent and kind of revolutionize what comic movies and comic book shows could be. Like this was one of the first ones that was really like besides X-Men, but like really was out there and seen. And I think that it really did set, set a precedent. So there is something important and magical about this movie that you can't exactly ignore. <laughs> I think X-Men paved the way for this because I think if I remember right, X-Men kind of came out first 
and it was like this big summer blockbuster, this big um, like social event. And then, you know, of course, Spider-Man won, like it broke box office records. Everybody was talking about it that, you know, when it came out, it, it was, you know, like this new Spider-Man, it was a social experience. Yeah, I think it, it was more like, like you had Blade, but that was kind of R-rated. Then you had X-Men plus Spider-Man. I think it was like the two, like in, I think, 2000, then 2002 or something. And I think you have those two back to back and they're, they're so good. Then you had X-Men 2, then you had Spider-Man 2. And I think all together, like holistically, it led to this explosion. I think each one contributed. Now, now talking about Spider-Man overall and everything, we've, we've had so long, we've had like 10 years or more to talk about Rainy Spider-Man trilogy. We've had about five or whatever years to talk about the TASM duology. Isla, what do you think about this new home trilogy for Tom Holland. Now, now that we can look at it overall, one, two, three, what do you so think? So I think it's I, I think it's an origin story when we look at it. And I think that's the thing that I just, you know, keep tumbling around in my head because this Spider-Man is very much a kid and we're kind of watching him grow. And it in this movie, we see him, you know, we, we see Aunt May die. And that's kind of be, you know, where the other movies kicked off their story. So, you know, we're, we're learning about Spider-Man. We're learning about um, what makes him who he is without having to see Uncle Ben die and, and have Spider-Man have his guilt. So I think, I think it was, I, I don't think it's, yeah, I think it's an origin story. Right. You know, something, Isla, that you said there that's very important is that, yes, this is an origin story. And this is, you know, we kind of saw that like what in the first Spider-Man would have been like the first 30 minutes. But I think this is also, I think Spider-Man was a little bit overshadowed in his origin story because, you know, part of it being the deal with Sony, there was, you know, the first one had Iron Man. And even though it was a Spider-Man movie, there was this Tony Stark is kind of hovering over you. And then the second one, there's, you know, there's um, Nick Fury, um, Sam Jackson. And then this one had the, the legacy of, the past spider-man and so i think that this one gave us the origin story it was a really great origin story but i'm really excited to kind of see how we're going to be outside the shadow of everyone because there was just so much mcu and marvel that was shoved into these movies that sometimes it kind of took away from getting to really explore mm -hmm. who tom holland's peter parker was sorry I'll, I'll defend homecoming because i think i think the whole who are you uh, if you're nothing without the suit you shouldn't have it I think that is a really strong theme in Homecoming. And I think Iron Man was in that almost enough to make that happen. I agree maybe a little bit too much, but I personally don't have an issue with Iron Man and Homecoming. I have many issues with Far From Home, but that I think we, we talked about that last time and I could continue doing just a whole episode about Far From Home. I'll very happily throw it in the trash and just give me Homecoming, No Way Home. I'll be very, very happy. Isla, what do you think? So I, I disagree about uh, Far From Home. I thought it was, and I, that might just be because I enjoy the whole like European road trip idea. So I thought that was really fun and different. Emily, what do, you, what do you think about the Home Trilogy overall? I like it. I think I agree with Isla and Brian. It's definitely his origin story. And like I said earlier, like the whole thing was for him, to, they were working on him like getting to a point where he can be alone and he's got that homemade suit in the end. I think Far From Home, like, trans like transitioning like from homecoming to Far From Home, like he's learning how to live in a world without like Tony Stark. 
but happy and may are still kind of guiding him and i think nick fear i think in a way nick fury he didn't want nick fury there but he was willing to help still because that's like what he does and then i think kind of shaking him off in the end and then having that end credit scene of his identity being exposed that was kind of a lot for him and he handled it on his own well not on his own because dr strange was there but in a way he handled it on his own in this in the new one no i i mean i i think you're right i think he did handle it on his own because it was his decision he took the agency to say how am i going to resolve this um and he, he used dr strange like a tool but peter was the one calling the shots so i would say you know he it was his yeah and him doing like, it i think it's really kind of the first time that we see him calling the shots because in homecoming he was still kind of going mm-hmm. by like what would iron man do in a way yeah i think far from home also they talked about what would tony do yeah and that's you know kind of piggybacking off of that that this was truly the moment he was an adult like this was his first adult decision because he everything else he always had someone to back him up you know he would he would call um happy he would have his aunt he would have tony and Doctor Strange, he had all these different people, but in that moment, he was actually thinking exactly for himself and knowing that even though it was going to hurt him and he was going to lose everything, that he had to do it for the greater good. And that was the moment that you really got to see, like, okay, he is a hero of his own right. He is going to be mm-hmm. going out into his own journey now without having the shadow of everything. So, you know, while there was the shadow of the MCU throughout the entire home trilogy, and I don't think that took away from making it like, a bad series is actually i think it was done really well and it was done in a way that you got to see him finally interact with all these characters you wanted to see him interact with we all wanted peter parker in the mcu but i'm more excited for like okay we're done with the origin story we get to go on from here and we get to see mm-hmm. him be spider-man without the gadgets of tony stark and without the the help of happy and and finally get to be himself yeah i i have a question now so we were just talking about the end of no way home now he he's made his own homemade suit and it's like the iconic spider-man suit do you think it would be more satisfying if his original tony stark suit wasn't already red and blue like suppose he always had like a red and black suit or he had like a red and yellow suit and this was the first time he had the red and blue do you think that would have been more satisfying or do you think the way they did it is, is I think fine? the way they did it because you know in in this movie they have him sew it himself and i think that's that's significant because he's he's making it and he's kind of carrying on that tradition that we've seen in, in the other movies in in toby's spider-man you know he made it in the other movie i think he made it um so you know i think that's that's kind of a fun callback to that and a fun way of um you know spider-man coming into a, his own again you know it's kind of this idea that you know you can i forget the exact saying but like greatness can be thrust upon you or you know some are born great and some achieve greatness and you know in the first time we've seen him in that spider suit tony made it and it was tony's suit and it was tony's gadgets and so that blue and that red was an identity that tony had pushed upon him and then when we see him make his first suit it actually is red and black and he hasn't quite embraced the the brightness of the blue and the red together and the sign of like, it kind of brings hope, you know, the black's got a little bit of a dark side to it. And so finding in to see him embrace that himself, instead of having someone else force it upon him was the, 
the kind of the signal of like okay he's ready for this this destiny and this trailblazing journey that he's about to go on so like i think that was it didn't take away from it to have the blue beforehand because this is his own red and blue I'm curious if we will get any more of the suit origins in the new Spider-Man um, animated series that I think it's called Freshman Year, because, you know, thinking back to Homecoming, he, he did have a red and blue suit. It was his sweatsuit. It was, you know, that that thing he had in his backpack. It just wasn't as as technical. It didn't have all the webs and everything that Tony's suit had. So I guess in a way, he, he picked his own colors still. Now, Emily, how would you rank all eight Spider-Man movies from the Raimi films, the Andrew films, the home films. Um, and, you know, I'll even let you, I'll let you include Venom and Spider-Verse if you want, but how would you rank the Spider-Man movies? Into the Spider-Verse, then No Way Home, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 1, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Homecoming, Far From Home. Tasm 1? Yes. The Amazing Spider-Man. At the very bottom. At the very bottom. I'm not done yet. And then, okay. sorry, that was no me. I'm sorry, that sounded so mean. It's good, it's good, it's good, sorry. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 1, and then Spider-Man 3. Okay, so we have Spider-Verse, No Way Home, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 1, Tasm 2, Homecoming, Far From Home, Tasm 1, Spider-Man 3. Those are all our Spider-Boys. What is your rationale for this? Do you have anything you want to defend? I think it's just how much, like, I enjoyed each one. And I'm a huge, I love animation. And I love the animation for Into the Spider-Verse, like, so much. I thought it was so well done. That's really it. <laughs> I, I am curious, though. Why is Tasm 2 so high? You love Tasm 2 more than Homecoming, more than Far From Home. Tasm 2 is right under two of the Raimi films. What, what makes it so special for you? I, don't, I just, I really liked Andrew and Emma as Peter and Gwen. I just thought they were fantastic and I think they were good choices and I did like it. I was heartbroken over Gwen's death. So it was like a very moving like movie. Isla, what about you? So this is hard, but I'm going to have to agree that Into the Spider-Verse, um, you know, is my number one just because it was, it, it was incredible. It's, you know, I don't, I can't find any faults with it. So I that's number one of the live action Spidey one, um, the the Spider-Man one movie by Raimi. And that's because of, you know, that being my first Spider-Man, having seen it in theaters, just like there's so much motion emotion attached to that that I can't shake. And I'm going to have to say my second one is is the one we just saw because it was just it was entertaining and so satisfying. I'm gonna skip all the other rankings because I don't I, I'm gonna you know, have a cop out with that. And I want to talk again about Sp the amazing Spider-Man. I think that movie could have, you know, been number one or two for me, but it had such a bad villain. And that makes me so mad. Andrew was great as Spider-Man. Um, Emma's great as Gwen. But then you have Curtis Connors, who just wants to make people lizards. The villain was bad. And I think- the movie You know what? I will- <laughs> Sorry. Okay, go on, go on, go on. Yeah. He suffered because of that. You know, I think uh, when, I, when I was writing my huge, like, 6,000-word No Way Home uh, review, uh, I wanted to defend Curtis Connors. Um, and I, I should have mentioned this on our last podcast, but I forgot to. I think my man, Lizard Boy, I think he is, I, I don't know if I'll say he's right, but I think he has a very, very strong point. I, I think he, he has a genuine argument that, look, humans can get hurt. Humans can get broken 
we have healing troubles, like people get sick and die, we're stupid, but you make us lizard people, then we can heal ourselves. We're smarter, we're stronger, we're faster, we have a tail. I mean, we look ugly, but overall, it, I, I see it as a win. So I, I would have really liked to know my home if he made a greater argument for saying, no, 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 leave me as lizard, I am happy as lizard. Because I think he genuinely wants to be a lizard. And I think he genuinely thinks society would be better if we were all lizards. Because I think he sees that as the future of bioenhancement. Like as a scientist, seeing the future, I think that's how he sees the future. So I would have, I think he had a strong argument in TASM 1. I think he could have made the same argument in No Way Home. And I will, I will defend that. I have so many questions, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> If, if I could be a lizard person that does not look like a lizard, then I would be happy. If I had all the benefits of lizard person without the, the negative of being lizard, then I would be happy. It's an interesting question, though, because like his, his badness is that he's trying to force this, this lizardness on everyone and everyone is like hasn't consented to this. Like I, I wouldn't want to be a lizard person, even if it if it meant I could be healed and have regenerated arms, sorry, Ben. Um, so, you know, I, I think may, maybe his his cold cold blooded heart is in the right place, but is that yeah, a pun? No. Is that a pun? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's my attempt at one. <laughs> Vin defends the lizard people. Okay, but so Isla, so you're saying that the rest of your Spider-Man movies, you just you need to think about it. I, I don't even think I could rank him. It's just, you know, in there. It's in the blob. Okay. Uh, Brian, you're next. What do you think? Yeah. Do you do you want to be a, a lizard person, Vin? Is that what I'm hearing? That you're no, but mm -hmm. I get what you're saying. Uh, I'm ready to get some internet hate from this. Okay, so let's start off strong. No way home is the top one for me, just because the why we're here, why we're talking. It was hundred percent exactly what I wanted to have a Spider-Man film and it kind of encapsulates everything that comes underneath of it. I will say that one that I did, I wrote down before we got here on a list and one that's not included on here is I did put down Infinity War because I still feel like that is a very Spider-centric story. And I got to see that dynamic between pushing the boundaries with the, of the adults in your life and getting to see the changes between the dynamic of Tony Stark and Spider-Man. So I included that. Um, followed by Homecoming, Spidey, Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, Far From Home, Amazing Spider-Man 1, and then I have it tied, Spidey 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 2, they're tied. And then this is where I'm expecting some backlash from my fellow writers here, um, Into the Spider-Verse, and then Venom 1 and 2. I might have to kick you off the podcast. <laughs> Okay, let me explain myself though. Wait, wait. So, Enter the Spider Verse, and then what? What was? The, what were the um, last ones? Venom One and Two. Okay, sure, sure. I I can understand. So, I did not like this movie, and I have actually never finished the movie. And so, like, maybe I don't have a leg to stand on in that way. I've I've watched multiple times. I've watched different parts of the movie. I've promised people I would try it. I think for me, the part that was hard and difficult to get through for this movie was the like the art design of it it felt like I was watching a 3D movie without the glasses and it actually causes me to get a headache every time I watch it. Like like the the way that like the comic book-esque like peripherals of the shots, I, it, 
I don't know. It, it does not sit well with me. So I've never made it through it. So that's why it's so low. I'm so sad for you. Man. That is a fair point, though, that, you know, the design could be disorienting if, you know, if that's not something you're used to. I wonder if that if that was a common problem for other people. Do you guys know anyone else who, who felt the same so way? So actually my sister, we both wear glasses, and but you also wear glasses. So that, that doesn't exactly apply. But yeah, the story itself, you know, of having watched over an hour of it, it is a good story. It's captivating. It has all the parts that should hit. And I recognize that it's a good movie and I recognize that people love it. And I can recognize that artistically it is, it pushes boundaries and a lot of things. It's just not, it's not for me. Fascinating. Well, I hope, I, I, I hope, I hope Spider-Verse 2 is, is better for you, but maybe not because they might be getting even more visually creative with it it is definitely a lot to take in with like all the like depth that they've added to like everything like down to like the background and like the city outline i promise one day to make it through the entire movie and maybe it'll move up i don't know i'm thinking that i think it'll be okay but we just have to get there if you can't finish the movie i'd be i'd very be i'd be very curious to hear what you think about like you know just the literal story like on paper you know, if you if you put aside the crazy visual pop art, if you just if you just look at the story, then does that still resonate with you, or is it, or is it is the visual just too much? Like I, let me know when you when you get around to it because I'm really curious. I have read the story like on like Wikipedia or like a breakdown and stuff I, a few different times, and I even reminded myself just in case anything came up in No Way Home, I I read about it, and the story itself is fantastic, and like that's why I can recognize this is a fantastic movie, and this is done really well i just think the the pop art aspect is what gets me the most mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i know sometimes people have a hard time with acknowledging that they did not finish something but i think that's also like a totally valid and 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 a real thing like you if, if something is not meshing for you you can you can stop watching it like I, I recently tried to watch the eternals because i did not see it in theaters and i had to stop watching it several times and kind of make myself go through it because it just wasn't wasn't working for me. Did you ever finish it? I did, yes. Okay, because I remember you were you were sending me some reactions, then the reactions stopped, and I didn't know what <laughs> happened. Okay, okay. So for my ranking for the Spider Boys, uh, number one, I have Spider Man one. I know it's not the best. I know it's not even the most accurate version of Spider Man, but for me, it's just like like it's sacrilege if it's not number one. I just love that movie so much, and that is my iconic everything. That is Spider Man. Um, then I have Spider Verse. For the reasons we just talked about, then I have Spider-Man Two. You know, I, I think these top three, most people probably agree with. I think. Uh, then I have Homecoming and No Way Home right under it, uh, because I really love the fun and the energy and the youth of Homecoming. I love the humor of Homecoming. I think it's one of the funniest movies in the MCU. That and Ant-Man. So I I really love the energy and I love the tonal balance. I think it. I think it, it's kind of perfect as far as like what, what it's going for. I think it, it achieves everything perfectly. And then I have No Way Home. I felt No Way Home was more ambitious than Homecoming, but I felt that it had some trouble balancing tones sometimes. I felt it was a little bit messy sometimes with the editing or with the writing, kind of some of the, the logic and character inconsistencies. Whereas like Homecoming, I felt that like it, it said, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And it nailed that X Y Z, or No Way Home. It it it, it asked for more, and it did like eighty percent, ninety percent of that. But I felt it was it was a little messy. 
Then after that, I have the ones I don't like as much. I have TASM2, which I, I, I like, or sorry, TASM1, um, which I like because Lizard, but I, I don't think it's as strong as the others. Then I have Spider-Man 3. Um, I, I watched the editor's cut, which was good. Then TASM2, then Far From Home is lower than the others. And I don't have Venom on here because I don't think he deserves So it. can I ask the three of you, though? You know, just because I ranked it, I, I kind of want to know where you guys feel like it felt. Where does Infinity War ring for you? Because Spider-Man is very integral to that storyline. So where does it fall within the, your rankings? Sure. I, Infinity War is actually like one of my favorite Marvel movies, so it's pretty high for me. I'd probably put it after No Way Home. Uh, but could you try to focus on just Spider-Man and that movie? Mm. Would you say that that version of Spider-Man is right below the No Way Home? I don't know. Does, does that make sense? Do you, do you get what I mean? I guess I didn't really view it as a Spider-Man movie, and I didn't really think about it until Brian said something. He is really important to that, so I guess I, yeah, I think I'd still put it below No Way Home. Wow, and above the Raimi's. Yep. Ayla, what about you? So, like Emily said, it's one of my it's one of her favorite Marvel movies, and it's also one of my favorite Marvel movies. So it, it's kind of hard to rank it in the Spider-Man list for me. Um, I'm gonna rank it under No Way Home, just because every No Way Home was just such a such a love letter and just so much fun, and it was huge in scope, and it was it was everything I wanted in a Spider-Man movie. So, yeah. Ayla, I was curious. So you have Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> Spider-Man 1, No Way Home, and then Spider-Man and Infinity War. Where do you have Spider-Man 2? See, I don't know. I, I don't know where I would rank that. There... Wow, so that, that's yeah, the unrankable I, I don't part. know where I would rank the, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 either. And I mean, I could I could mm-hmm. say rank Spider-Man 3, but we, we don't need any, any anguish on this podcast. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think that that middle is a little mushy for me. Okay. Uh, for me, I, I also, I really like how, how he's introduced in Civil War. I think they, they introduce him as like, like he, he comes in carrying like the, the computer parts or something and he has a really short haircut and he looks like, you know, a little nerd baby. And, but he, he still has such a good heart and he's talking about, you know, protecting the people who can't protect themselves and when something bad happens, you know, that's on you. you know, I think that's really adorable. And then he's like, hey, everyone. I don't know. I, I think he's really fun and adorable in Civil War. And like, that's a really condensed package. And I feel Infinity War kind of continues that. But I would, let's see. So I have Spider-Man 1 into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man 2. I think I would put Civil War Spidey um, right above Homecoming. And then I would have Homecoming, No Way Home. And then I would have Infinity War Spider-Man. Because I think in Infinity War, he makes some jokes. And he has that really emotional scene with Tony Stark, but I don't think he ever has the like the the central character thrust that he gets even in his few minutes in Civil War. In Civil War, I'm like Spider-Man. I know what you're about. I see your jokes. I see your I see your cuteness, but I also see your hearts. And so everything in that little package in Civil War got you, Spider-Man. Homecoming, same way. No way home, same way. You look at those and you're like, I know who Spider-Man is. But in Infinity War. I feel like he's more just there. And I don't think you you really see his heart as much as in the other movies. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And I will say the thing about the Civil War one and why I didn't put it on the list is because that truly feels like it's this like the same as 
homecoming it's like the prequel to homecoming in the aspect of like that first chapter of just getting like it's the same person but like it's the same story he's still that kid he's fun so i i agree with your ranking i think that's a really interesting way to to kind of look at it i just noticed though on my list so again i have spider-man one spider-verse spider-man two Civil War, Homecoming, No Way Home, Infinity War. I just realized I clustered all my MCUs together. That wasn't on purpose. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I have Raimi, then MCU, then TASM in general. And, you know, I think even though I think MCU does, I don't know, because I it's strange because I think TASM does a better Spider-Man. I think MCU is a more, I don't know. I, I, maybe the MCU movies are just better. And then the Raimi movies are the best movies, but not as good Spider-Man. It's hard ranking these guys. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I agree with you because something that I've said since day one to all of my friends is that Tobey Maguire was a great Peter Parker. He was awkward and he was, he had that like really weird humor that was kind of like, okay, you're a nerd. Andrew Garfield was a great Spider-Man, but he wasn't necessarily a great Peter Parker. He was more of the, the suave, sophisticated skateboarding heartthrob where Tom Holland kind of balances the both of them. And, and he is that nerd, but he's also funny as spider-man he kind of has a little more of the balance where the other two are kind of heavy one way or the other all right guys now there's one huge moment we need to talk about we uh we referenced it briefly a second ago in this movie aunt may becomes peter's uncle ben emily what were your thoughts about this i thought it was very interesting to change that since we haven't seen uncle ben and we've had very few mentions of him in the mcu but i thought it made sense since we've seen Aunt May so much and she's always kind of guided Peter and stuff and was like you know do good and everything throughout like the home trilogy. I wish we saw more of her in Far From Home because I feel like it would have made like a little more sense but I was glad that we got sure she got more screen time in No Way Home than she has in the past. I think it was all right. I think that. You know, when they announced Spider-Man freshman year, I assumed we were going to get the the big Uncle Ben storyline, you know, as Spider-Man's getting his powers, we're going to see Uncle Ben, it's going to happen. And then they, they changed the, the story. And I think that it lent itself pretty well to the MCV, MCU version of Peter Parker and Spider-Man, because as far as we know, he hasn't really had a Uncle Ben. I mean, he had Tony Stark, which was kind of his uncle, but aunt may was the one that did raise him and take care of him from the very beginning i will say that i agree with what emily said i wish we had a little more time with with her i wish that you know while it was also impactful i mean that was the exact moment i started crying from the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. but we didn't get a lot of aunt may in any of the movies to really like yes we know the sacrifice but like there should have been a little bit more of her but but the contrast, the argument is that, uh, and like uh, a normal Spider-Man, like Spider-Man 1, Amazing Spider-Man 1, you don't get that much time with Ben, right? So why, why do you think we needed more time with May when she's already had, this is her third movie? I think that's why. It was her third movie, and I don't know the exact totals of time, but there wasn't, over the course of all of this, there wasn't a significant amount of time with Aunt May. We've had a few scenes in the first movie. I, the one that's coming to mind is them talking over food yes Mm -hmm. and there was there was a a few other moments but there wasn't a lot i I don't know i feel like when you look back at the first spider-man movie there was Mm -hmm. a good chunk of 
Uncle Ben's presence in that first movie within the first 30 minutes before he dies. And I feel like you don't get a lot of her. You, she was kind of overshadowed by Tony Stark in a way, you know? Yeah, and, and I, I think even less about screen time, it's about how impactful that time is. And you're right, across three movies, she didn't feel, she never felt as impactful as an Uncle Ben did until the just the moment when she's dying. And then she felt important. Isla, what do you think? Yeah, I think of all the Uncle Ben's, um, you know, Martin Sheen's version, probably, you know, we, we got to see the most if I, you know, would, would make a guess there. And we kind of, you know, saw the relationship between um, between that Peter and, and the Martin Sheen Uncle Ben. And, you know, his death had meaning. But that said, I think that, you know, this for Aunt May's death in this movie had um, had the most meaning because we had you know, we did have three movies of her. We were we were used to her. We cared about her a little bit more than, you know, Uncle Ben from the first movie. Um, you know, I, I have problems with, you know, the lack of character development she had, which, you know, you have in this awesome article that you put out about the women of Spider-Man that I'm sure we're going to talk about later. Um, I think that, I think Aunt May had to die in this movie because... You know, it, it was the only way that this Peter Parker, the Spider-Man, who is essentially a Boy Scout, right? He he does the right thing, could be moved, you know, to such rage, to such anger. I think her death, you know, really has meaning in that sense. I think when, I think when this, you know, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, or I'm sorry, Tom Holland's Spider-Man, you know, is, is you know, raining punches down on um, the Green Goblin. Like th those punches look like they hurt, you know, the, there's like a crater left behind in the earth after those punches. And I think her death is really the only thing that could propel him to act that way. You know, did you guys, mm -hmm. I was yeah, just like going off of that. I think something that as I was thinking about this movie after the second time I saw it would have almost been more impactful of like the loss of Aunt May would have been if she actually didn't die, but she was the one that he had that small conversation with instead of happy and like he she was still alive and she was living a great life and she didn't recognize him i think that would have hurt more i think that would have had this impact of like wow you gave up your aunt who loved you and took you in and cared for you and she, yeah. she doesn't even know who you are yeah I, I i i genuinely think if i don't think he would have made that decision at the end if aunt may was still alive um i'm i'm not I don't want to say like chicken or egg, which came first, but I think in order for him to make that decision, Aunt May has to be out of the picture. I think if, if Aunt May is still there, I don't know if Peter could have made that decision. I mean, I don't know, just putting myself in his shoes and like the relationship he had with her. I, I don't think, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he could have done it if she was still alive. I agree with you. You know, he, at the end of the movie, he goes into the shop with MJ and Ned and he sees you know, he sees them like living their life and, and being okay. If Aunt May was still alive, I don't think he would have made that choice to not not try to break the spell. I think if she was alive, he would have tried to break that spell under, you know, all circumstances. I see. I, I want to say that he would do differently because she had driven home the point the whole movie that you do the right things to help people. And if the whole world is falling apart due to your mistake, she almost would have expected him to make that choice. And I think he would have made that choice in like honor of her and then found a way to break the spell on the other side of like getting her to remember and i don't know i i guess it is like chicken or egg but i think that would have hurt a little bit more 
did you guys think Aunt May was possibly fridged in this movie? That she she dies to help Peter's development, and it's it's not a good use of a female character. What did you guys have any thoughts about that? I would say a hundred percent. She her story in this one was very much to propel him into his next trilogy, into his, you know, into getting to the point of getting him angry enough to want to kill someone so he can learn a valuable lesson. She was a hundred percent kind of used at the expense of Peter Parker's story. If you, if you look at her over, you know, over the course of the, the trilogy of movies, she, there's not a lot that she, um, that she seems to do outside of, outside of Peter. Like she, she's got this charity and she's using, you know, Peter to, to help with that, but they, they seem very interlinked. She's got this relationship with, um, with happy that's you know in some ways also built off of spider-man so a lot of a lot of the may character development is is interlinked with peter i I noted in my article that the at the beginning of no way home the scene where she breaks up with happy you know i I didn't do any scientific research but i think that is the one scene in all three movies where you actually see her on her own talking and doing something not related to peter parker or spider-man uh, the only exception I could think of is in Far From Home when she's like at her office uh, with Happy. But even then, she's talking to Peter on the phone and trying to help him with Peter Parker's stuff. So this is the the one scene you get with Aunt May just being Aunt May, living her Aunt May life. I will say that the only other scene that you maybe even got a taste of that was the end of Far From Home where he asks that they're dating and she says no. And then she turns to Happy and starts kind of fighting is the only kind of moment besides the the scene you just talked about in No Way Home that you really get to see her be someone who isn't just role of aunt. Do you know what I mean? Um, I also thought it was a tragedy that despite being the youngest, most modern, and most aware Aunt May of all three versions, this Aunt May is the least involved. Like when you think of Spider-Verse, I don't know if this is spoilers for you, Brian. When you think of Spider-Verse, you see an Aunt May there who is like kind of like Alfred but like superhero Alfred or something like she, she's like a super Aunt May and like she has a secret lab with all the costumes and she helps them out and she like even fights a little bit, I think. And this Aunt May is, could have been something like that because this Aunt May, she's young, she's super close with Peter. Like they're like really almost best friends or something. She knows about everything. Like, I don't know. And far from home, I think she could have been driving the, the jet or something I, I, instead of happy. Like, I feel like she could have done more to be, to, to help out her nephew who's doing such a dangerous, a, a good thing, but such a dangerous thing. And I think she could have been more involved than hands-on helping him instead of just like, you know, skipping a whole movie almost and far from home. Emily, what do you think? Yeah, I kind of agree. She definitely could have helped more because like you said, with um, Into the Spider-Verse, she helped Miles kind of like prepare. So I wish we did like, see her kind of push Peter more and been like you're ready for this like you're so strong then I guess we did kind of see some of that before she died because she said like you have this gift and you help people and like great power comes great responsibility but I just wish we would have seen her more in action. Sometimes I think that you know and some of the other characters in addition to Aunt May suffer from you know not enough character development because the Spider-Man movies try to do too much like they they often are they they have multiple bad guys and some of them are totally new so we're trying to understand them and their backstory they've got in, in the newer movies they have the MCU stuff that's being integrated and then there's there's May 
and I would have liked to, you know, in this this version have just learned maybe a little bit more about what what she was before Peter, because I think in Homecoming, there's that, you know, there's that mention that she had that tragedy, but that's never really explained. And I think that's almost a lost opportunity for for story there. And correct me if I'm wrong, too. At some point, there was plans of making an Aunt May movie. I don't remember if it was with the MCU Spider-Man or if it was with the Amazing Spider-Man, but there was talks mm-hmm. of like a development. I think it would have been cool to do that, you know, kind of see a little bit of of her maybe outside of Spider-Man and maybe give her this cool lifestyle. I don't know. At times, I also think mm-hmm. that they, they used her for comedic relief, like at the end of Far From Home when she was like, oh, where's your luggage? And I don't know, she gets lost in a lot of the things that they wanted to do with her. I agree. I mean, I don't want to harp on about it, but I feel like Far From Home took so much that Homecoming set up and I feel like it pushes it to the side a lot because they had other ideas they wanted to do in Far From Home, but I felt it doesn't build on what Homecoming set up. Because I, I think it, it could have fleshed out May more. You could have gotten into what is this tragedy? Um, it, I think the line is like everything she's been through. Well, you could have gotten into that. What has she been through? Because now we have three movies and we that's never been answered. Um, I guess freshman year could do it, but why not do it in the trilogy? One, one interesting thing I was thinking about too is like, so Aunt May replaces Ben. Okay. And that's kind of cool because that's like a, a martyr figure. It's, it's so influential for Spider-Man. So maybe it's even... Maybe it's even like a positive thing for, for Aunt May to be lifted to this like saintly status of an Uncle Ben. But at the same time, in the comics, Aunt May, she, she has an important role too, that she's always kind of Spider-Man's rock. Um, and I feel it, it's sad in, in the MCU now, he won't have that emotional center anymore. Um, like Superman has Ma Kent. Uh, you know, he loses his pocket, but he has Ma Kent. And I, I think it, it's sad that that Peter is going to lose that. So for, for the future movies, I hope they do something to try to give Peter some emotional core, some, some like moral core, someone he can latch onto who is his rock. Um, Cause I think, I think it's really sad that we lost a character. Like well, that, that. I think that's a great place too, to go for story in the next movies. Peter, Peter is, is presumably going to be isolated. He doesn't have anyone but himself. And I think that will be, you know, interesting exploring whether or not he can cope with that, whether or not he needs to find somebody and maybe somebody that's not exactly a good choice, whether it's a mentor or a relationship or something that's that's toxic and bad for him and how he how he deals with that. Somebody also mentioned that what it would have been like if, if May had survived. And I think that so in the previous movies, and sorry, my dogs are snoring. <laughs> um, in the previous movies, Toby's Spider-Man and um, Andrew's Spider-Man, May came pretty close, you know, close to death in both of those. She was very threatened and very, you know, nearly injured, but she didn't die. Do you think that part of the reason they killed her was to differentiate, you know, her from the other versions? You know, what? something that I kind of want to throw out there is that while it differentiates from the other movies, this is something that we've seen really like not that long ago in another Spider-Man th- uh, property, and that was the video game. Mm-hmm. And they did the exact same storyline where he loses Aunt May, and it seemed they seemed to really like that, and they liked they liked that that idea, and it carried over to a movie a few years later. So I don't know how much that's differentiating from maybe some of the extended Spider-Man properties. Yeah. I just think it's a shame because like in my article, I talked about this, but if you if you try to keep track of the woman in this movie, you have Aunt May, you have MJ, 
then you have Ned's grandma, and you have MIT lady, and you have Betty Brandt. And as far as I can count, those are like the five talking female characters in this movie. And MIT lady isn't even named. Ned's grandma isn't named. Betty Brandt is kind of a joke character. She, she's not super important. And you have MJ and May. And I think it's just a, a tragedy then that you have such few women in this movie, and then you kill off one of them. And then the other one, you, you throw her off um, like a, a building. And yeah, she gets saved. But I, when I was writing my article, I, I just Googled and like 53% of New York City are women. Where are they? So I, I feel that they could have treated the, the woman a little bit better in this movie and, you know, maybe make some of the side characters women, maybe make, give some female characters some, something more major to do because like Ned has the sling ring. What does MJ have? I don't know what MJ contributes to this movie. She's there basically to say to redeem Andrew's Spider-Man. It seems like, you know, that fall where he can save her and he didn't save Gwen, you know, the that like that kind of seems like her purpose in this movie. Um, I'm very curious about MIT Lady and when the script to this movie comes out, if she actually has a name, what what it's, you know, what the descriptors are. Because if she doesn't, I feel like that kind of shows how little thought was put into her as a character. And that's a shame because as you said, she was one of the most important women in the movie because there are so few. Um, and Betty, you know, poor Betty has nothing basically in this movie. She's got like a stray report at the beginning wherein um, the previous movie, she, she had a significant role. As, as much as I dog on Far From Home, Zendaya is great in that one. And she helps Peter figure out the whole thing with Mysterio. And she figures out he's Spider-Man. Like she, for everything Far From Home, I don't like, but Zendaya and Far From Home, she, she was straight on. She was really good. And, and Betty and, and uh, Ned were really funny too. And they, they contributed something, I guess. But I don't know. This movie left me a little disappointed about that. You know, real, you know, real quick, just a, with Zendaya, you're 100% right. She was fantastic in Fire From Home. She was very, like, she was on top of her game. She was, she figured out Spider-Man. Like, and then this one, it was, we don't know what to do with her. Let's give her a box. And she's going to hold on to this box and she's going to be the one that's going to get to make this call, like this all important call. When it came to every other call in the movie, she kept asking Peter, hey, consult me, ask me, we're in this together. We're a team. Talk to Ned, talk to mm -hmm. me, please. And every time he, he made these calls without her and she, it just felt like they didn't know what to do with her now that she was the love interest. And that, that was a little disappointing. Can we talk about the love interest bit a little bit? Because I feel like yeah. from the previous movie to this movie, there was, you know, no development of that. It was just, you know, in the last movie, they they came together, they were dating. And then like in this movie, they're just insep inseparable. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff we missed and a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, would, would come with a relationship that is, you know, a, gr a great place to go with story and, and could have maybe helped with some of these these questions of agency and the women not really doing much. I was just saying, I do wonder if, you know, I'm pretty sure a while ago, Alex at the Cosmic Circle wrote an article about how there was going to be like a show in between each, that took place like between each movie and kind of explain the story. And I do wonder if you're going to see more of that in like the show that takes place between No Way Home and Far From Home. And if that's really going to play out a little bit on there. It sounds like maybe they're trying to hold stuff, some stuff back to have content for these, these shows that are going to fill the gaps in between the movies. Hmm. 
like like uh, across the few months because no way home picks up right after far from home but then you have a few months before school starts then you have a few months huh maybe you could fit something there interesting I know there was a lot of speculation with um, with Hawkeye and this latest movie, whether or not there was going to be like a tiny Spider-Man cameo at the end. Sorry for Hawkeye spoilers, where in No Way Home, Spider-Man is swinging over um, the ice skating rink at 30 Rock and the Christmas tree. And that's also, you know, part of significant scene in Hawkeye. So it would be interesting if they kind of find a way to, to integrate the movies with the TV shows. I also don't know how that works timeline-wise, because it's already very confusing to me, um, like what year we're in and everything with the blip. And I just don't know if that'd be so confusing. Yeah, once we get past like the whole COVID mess, I think, like the, the COVID delay stuff, I think they'll hopefully be better about like, the show is coming out, this movie is coming out, they are synced. Or like they're at least in the order of release is the order they take place in. Hopefully, who knows? I think for the most part, um, we're we're kind of approaching the end of our discussion here. So so let's start, Brian. What are your thoughts? Like just really quick thoughts. What do you think is coming next in Spider-Man Four and the whole like Sony thing? Do you think Spider-Man is going to be in the Avengers Spider-Verse Two? Amazing Spider-Man 3. What do you think? Tell me anything, everything, some, some quick thoughts. Uh, I think that there's going to be another agreement between Sony and Marvel coming soon. He's going to, you know, he's going to have his new trilogy. He's going to be in the Avengers. I think that eventually we're going to lead to the spell unraveling, either between what happens in Doctor Strange or in a future movie. And all this is going to be resolved somewhere in Spider-Man 4 or 5. And he's probably going to cross over to the Spider-Man, uh, the Sony movies, regardless if I like that or not. So we're probably looking forward to seeing him in Craven, Morbius, mm-hmm. maybe Morbius 2, not Morbius 1. And we're going to see a lot of um, that crossover finally play out so that he's in both of their sandboxes. Yeah, I'm so mixed on Morbius because I'm so excited for vampires, but I'm not excited for Morbius. So ugh. what if there are lizard? <laughs> I don't blame you. What if there are lizard people in Morbius? Will you be excited then? What if there are lizard vampires? Hmm. Emily, what do you think? Thoughts on the future of Spider-Man, Sony, animated, Amazing Spider-Man 3? What do you think? I think that um, Spider-Man 4, it's obviously going to happen. They're very excited about it. And I think it is going to get to an agreement point where he's able to come back to like a a future Avengers project or like the next big team up thing. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, he's definitely going to cross over into the Sony like Spider-Man movies like Brian, I totally agree. I think like somehow he's gonna be in Craven. I don't know about Morbius at all. Like I feel like there's just so much going on with that already from like what we've seen. Cause there's the correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's a picture of like Toby's Spider-Man in the background of him like walking through an alley in a mm-hmm. scene, and then like Michael Keaton's mm-hmm. in it and Oscorp. And so it's just it feels very confusing. Mm-hmm. But I am. And it's, it's the the Tasm Oscorp logo. Yes. From the amazing, yeah. And I think there was also like there's a shot of the Daily Bugle and it like mentions like Rhino at the top of the paper. So I'm very confused as to what's going on there. But I am excited for freshman year, and I really do hope it like fills in some of those blanks, like with Peter and MJ's relationship and stuff, mm-hmm. and Uncle I Ben. Wonder, yeah, I was about to say. I wonder if freshman year is, is going to touch Uncle Ben and. How do you do that now that we just got Aunt May? Is he just gonna like die? Exactly. Or is there 
Uh, I don't know. Or is he, or is it like Uncle Ben died a long time ago and he's just, just some guy who knows. Uh, Isla, what do you think? Quick thoughts. So I'm very excited about the future of Spider-Man. I think there's that shot at the end of the movie where Strange and Spider-Man are kind of fixing this crack in the multiverse and you see all of the villains. And I feel like I need to see like a screenshot of that because that was so, so interesting. And I think there was Craven in there. There was Black Cat. You know, there was Rhino. I, I don't remember if there was Doc Ock, but it was just like everybody that Spider-Man has ever faced. And I think that, you know, that's that's a universe of possibilities that'll be really fun to see. Um, I'm excited to see how Peter Parker kind of supports himself. And as he's, you know, in his his little apartment and off on his own, I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to go off and work for the Daily Bugle and become a photographer just to keep an eye on Jay Jonah and what's going on. So I want to see that play out. Um, I'm also really excited and I hope we get to see what happens to Ned. And we didn't really talk about Ned because he's magic in this movie. And I want to see, you know, how that works at MIT and how that works for him. Because if, if they don't address it, then that's a, a missed opportunity. And you know how Marvel is like, even 10 years later, they'll pick up on something and, and resolve it. So who knows, maybe in 10 years, we'll get the Ned Disney Plus series. I would watch a Ned movie completely or a Disney Plus series. Well, that's awesome. Great stuff, guys. Um, I have, I don't know, when I was working on my review, I made like a two-page document kind of of random thoughts. Maybe, maybe I'll see if I can publish that just as a article somehow, just random things I loved, I didn't like, or just questions I had. Some of them are, some of them are kind of interesting or, or things I would have liked to see. But I think, I think we're about done today, guys. Great job all around. Thank you everyone for coming. Thank you, Brian, for, for coming. Thank you for the great conversation. Thank you everyone for listening at home. We really appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, let's go one more time around the cosmic circle. Uh, share your name, what you've been working on, and your social media. Hi, I'm Isla Ruby, and it was so nice to talk to you all about Spider-Man. Um, I write for the Cosmic Circle, and you can find me at Tulin Writes on Twitter. Yep, my name's Emily, and you can follow me at EmilyMCD11 on Twitter. I write for the Cosmic Circus. Hi, my name is Brian Kitson. Um, it was great talking to you all. Thank you for so much for having me. I'm currently working on uh, a Doctor Who piece, and I'm also working on uh, a piece about john diggle and his new show for the cw in the meantime you can find me on twitter at at kitson 301 um and i look forward to having conversation with anyone that wants to continue the spider-man talk or anything else nerdy and comic booky and i'm vin right now i'm working on uh, a very like detailed uh, stop and think review of eternals now that it's on disney plus um, you can find me on Twitter at VinWritesWords, and that's it. Thank you again, everyone, for coming today. We're very happy to talk about Spider-Man, and we're happy you're happy to listen to us. Um, you can find all of our work on thecosmiccircus.com, as well as on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at MyCosmicCircus. Please remember to rate and review the podcast, and we'll see you in a few weeks with Isla for our most anticipated movies and shows of 2022. Thanks, guys. See you next time.